sits The clip replies the same defeats Keep your finger on button issues With crocodile tears and a pocket full of tissues Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we get to hear from another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. It is Bruce Thomas, bassist for Elvis Costello and The Attractions. Now, you may or may not know, he and Elvis don't really have a relationship anymore. Uh, there's a lot of dysfunction there, some resentment. In fact, he's out there now, Elvis, with the other guys from The Attractions, and that's why they go by The Imposters. So Bruce wrote a book about this. It came out last year and it's called Rough Notes. And it's basically detailing his entire musical history, going back to the 60s, the people he met along the way, the personalities he came up against, what was sort of, how he got to be a part of Elvis, and then uh, what's at the heart of that dysfunction. Uh, it's a really cleverly written, entertaining piece and he doesn't pull any punches. So we talk about a lot of that stuff in here as well. I, uh, and I'm honest with him about this, I have a sort of conflicted history with Elvis. I used to be a gigantic fan, and then somewhere along the way, I, it just, I sort of lost interest. And uh, I'm kind of on the fence today. I, I, I don't know, I like a lot of the hits, but some of it I don't, I'm not so into anymore. So anyway, we discuss a lot of that stuff. I want to give a huge thanks to former guest, John Pasden of Pez Band and Off-Broadway. He is the one who recommended that I get in touch with Bruce. So I'm glad that I did that. These days, Bruce is primarily writing books. He still does some music, and we talk about that, but he writes a lot of books. In fact, did you know that he wrote what is considered basically the ultimate book on Bruce Lee? I, Bruce Thomas did that, basis for Elvis Costello. That's crazy. So anyway, a lot of really interesting things in here. I just basically at one point throw out a bunch of names of historical rock figures that I know he worked with or interacted with or had stories with, kind of pick his brain. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. He called me from his home in England and I forgot to ask where it was. I just know it's out in the countryside. When I was reading your book, so I recently, about a year or so ago, I went on a big police kick and I read Andy Summers, Stuart Copeland, Sting's books, listened to, re-listened yeah. all their albums and everything. And something that struck me about yours and their books to some degree, especially Andy's, is yeah. that back in the good old days, the pre-fame days, you guys were yeah. playing a lot of jazz and prog and all these other styles, psychedelic rock and everything. And yeah. then and an opportunity came along to sort of, and for, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but to hop on this sort of new wave train. There's this new sure. thing happening, and it's yeah. shorter pop songs, and that's what people want. So I better adjust. And I sure. mean, was there some of that to you? Because it seemed like at heart, a lot of you musos would rather play, you know, 10-minute solos and prog and jazz. Do I have that right? Well, you've, there are several questions in there. And and I use <laughs> I Andy, Sum Summer, Andy Summers of, as an example of... Of the way, because he was in a in a kind of club uh, soul band called uh, Zoot Money's Big Roll Band in the '60s, and then suddenly prog came along, and and they became Dan Tallian's Chariot and wore flat, you know, caftans and things. And then, of course, when the new wave stuff came along uh, in the late late seven mid to late '70s, he was suddenly a member of the police. But I had an exactly parallel path with. Um, you know, w with being in a, a kind of jazz blues band called Village, and then being in a 
in a, I never joined a psychedelic band, but I was in this kind of soft rock country band called Quiver. And then I kind of became, you know, new way with, with the attractions and stuff. And most people, there was a pool of musicians, you know, that, that kind of mixed and matched and, and followed the, followed the money or followed the prevailing trends. I don't think I ever felt deprived from not being able to do 12 minute bass solos and having uh-huh. to play proper songs you know I, uh-huh. I wasn't one of those people but certain certain of the prog uh, guys you know the usual suspects the the particular the rick wakemans and steve house of this world probably would would not want to play three minute pop songs in fact i know they wouldn't but um yeah Having said that, Rick Wakeman played, you know, classic um, classic piano part on a David Bowie single and so on. So it's a matter of um, taking the opportunities where you find them, because yeah. for every musician that, that was in a band that happened, there were just as many good ones that weren't, you know. At your heart, uh, what would you like to play? If, you, if you're noodling with yourself, what, yeah. what albums are you putting on? What's in your soul? Well, what I, I, I tend to play, I don't play along to Jaco Pastorius because that would mean hard work. Right. So I tend to, I've always tended to go down a kind of R&B pop route, Okay. you know. I mean, when I started playing, it was easier to play along with Booker T than the Beatles, Got you it. know. Yeah. So I, and then gradually, um, gradually I got through the, the, through the blues R&B soul duck done riffing mode to the point where I think, you know, with Elvis then we were using... There's two traditions, isn't there? There's the sort of black American R&B tradition, then there's the white uh, European classical mm-hmm. tradition, and the Beatles and ABBA draw... Well, the Beatles drew on both. ABBA are very much European mm-hmm. uh and uh, and certain you know American bands are definitely R and B based when R and B meant rhythm and blues and not rap and bullshit of course right, but right <laughs> right yeah <laughs> okay I will say I do want to, now one thing we do in here is we will insert little snippets of the, some of the songs and stuff that we right. talk about okay yeah um, yeah I do got to put in a plug for your bass solo on Killer Man uh, Quivers oh song, Killer Man. yeah well listen. <laughs> I might might be the second time ever in my life I hear it then because <laughs> <laughs> I found it on YouTube and it go, it's impressive. I mean that song is epic and your oh, your God, solo God, on there is that... amazing.
don't, don't. That's uh, <laughs> I, that was that was uh, Studio Naivety par excellence. That was a band that decided to produce their own album, and then a the bass player insisted on having a solo on yeah. the record, and and, that, and of course, you know. Bass solos, everybody really loves them, don't they? <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, I got a bit stuck taste. at one point. I think I got a bit stuck at one point and put a backwards bass on it, oh. and it's been going back, been going backwards ever since. Well, but, um, it's epic. Uh, yeah, the interesting thing about that song is if you play it back to back with uh, with Steve Miller's "My Dark Hour," you'll see it's the same riff. Oh, okay. But, well, we're gonna uh, do that right here. My dark hour. It's it's all there, folks. So oh, cool. It's time to confess. That's great. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just imagining you. I mean, you guys at the time in the '60s and the '70s, when the you know the the style, I guess, is to just kind of expand your mind and expand your playing and let it all hang yeah, out. Yeah. And then suddenly the late '70s comes along and it's all very cut down. The haircuts get shorter, the ties get shorter, and the music and the songs get shorter. And do you it, feel it like this is sort of cutting me off? I can't breathe in here. I can't do what I want to do. No, no, I didn't okay. feel like that. I didn't feel like that at all because I don't know. You know, the most of the songs that prevailed from that um, period, like the Buscox or Blondie or Jam or or Elvis or or things like that, are quite. Uh, uh, are every bit as musically sophisticated I as agree. any of the decent songwriting that went before. There's just sure. as much harmon as much harmonic possibility and chord changes and everything else in it. You know, if you were the pi even the Pistols and the Damned, you 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 really can't be successful being bad. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like even Louis Louis, Louis you know Louis Louis or the Kingsman, you know, three chord or the Trogs or something. It's not mindless, uh, simplistic nonsense. We don't even remember what that was because that's got buried and lost within a year of it ever surfacing. You know, yeah. well, so the uh, so um, I don't think the uh, that that the new punk new wave was any less musically valid than anything that went before it, and possibly. Right. I think it's more musically valid than the endless noodling of of um you know Good. of of the prog dinosaurs yeah. you know Good. I was hoping you would say that. Um, cuz yeah. that's how I feel too, but I I never know yeah. with you guys. Okay. 
you will have probably read in in my book about um i made a point of mentioning um a band called one two three who later became clouds who uh-huh. to to my you know understanding pretty much invented the whole prog genre in in 67 And then, for various reasons, uh, were exiled. Their manager, Brian Epstein, uh, died while they were in America, and it took them a year to regroup, by which time, Yes and ELP and King Crimson and everything had had more or less stolen their entire repertoire and and stage act lock, stock and barrel. In fact, Billy Ritchie, the keyboard player of Clouds, uh, was a guy that David Bowie called a genius mm-hmm. and wanted actually wanted Billy Ritchie on on um, Life on Mars and things like that, but ended up with Rick Wakeman. So I, I was in, you know, I didn't know at the time uh, when I was in a band called Village, which was kind of a mixture between it was kind of jazz blues prog, so it was jazz blues with longish solos. Uh, and I thought, well, we're right on the cutting edge here, but it had all been done literally yeah. three or four years earlier by Clouds, and 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 uh, I've made a point of um, of you know mentioning that I did it yeah. in the book, and there's been a couple of doc- there's been a Sky Arts documentary on the trailblazers of prog rock, and and he's become more active on Facebook and everything, and I think uh, he's gradually being vindicated as the father of prog, which Good. is great news, you know. I was going to ask you about that, because you had mentioned that you felt compelled to tell that story, and I wondered why. Yeah, so that's yeah. good. I'm glad you said that. Okay. Yeah, so you can, you know, I'm I'm probably not giving you the stories in the order that you, oh, <laughs> you thought about them, but I, they'll... I don't they'll, care. i got a list of questions here. I'll go... They'll anywhere. all come out one way or the other. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's go to that first, you know, fateful phone call. And, and by the way, just so you know, I don't want you to have to recount the same book stories you've been telling no. in every other interview. But I do. Um, so in in this scenario, a, a phone call comes into Elvis, not not Elvis's office, but the office where Elvis is, and the lady on the phone yeah. says, "You should give this guy a chance." Meaning, it, you. well, that's it. Yeah. Um, I ring the I ring for the audition and the phone's answered by by um, a girl and uh, it's it's pretty obvious that he's standing next to her. Right. So so he's asking what bands he's played in. Mutter, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what bands did he play in? So I said, oh no no no, you know, yeah, prog country. No, get rid of him. Uh, and then and then what? Who are your favourite bands? So I said, well, Steely Dan. You know, who who were possibly the 
certainly the best band of the time and possibly a candidate for one of the best three bands of all time in my book okay. but but oh no no we don't we uh, you know get rid of him so she said <laughs> oh, he sounds nice give him a chance so so she basically um he, he, well you know the rest of the yeah, story that ended, her, ended up you? ended yeah. up marrying her yeah <laughs> <laughs> not because not because of not because of that just right co- of course coincidentally but, that's a nice but, bonus um, though but I'm, yeah. I mean, do you think I don't? Is, is the story really that simple, or did she? Did you? Did you say something or do something on that call that made her think, um, you know, that you were special or different, or was she just? I, I don't to know. Maybe it, maybe maybe it was one of those rare, rare days when I was being charming and polite, you know. <laughs> and, maybe. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, uh, All right. And, or, or maybe you know, I mean, cranky. You know, maybe there was some sort of um, recognition. You know, if we yeah. ended up living together for twelve years, maybe she thought, "Oh, maybe. he sounds all right." Okay. You know, and yeah, I just wondered what I, got her. I don't do know. That. He, you know, the story. Elvis wanted. He actually wanted untutored musicians. He wanted people who couldn't play. You yeah. know, in the re, in the punk ethos, he wanted a, a real garage band. But I thought, it's possibly not the best agenda for. Um, somebody who's being touted as an up-and-coming songwriter to right. get actually get people that can't play the songs. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so um, anyway, okay. it, it all worked out. It did. So let's go back to that period. Now, you seem, like in the book anyway, you seem like yeah. somebody who would have had a hard time taking a back seat to anybody. And yet that yep. was sort of the... Ro- I guess my question is: When you joined that band, when you joined up with Elvis, mm-hmm. was the dictate was it dictated from the beginning that Elvis is the talented, brilliant mind here, and you guys are his subordinates, or did you feel like there was potential for democracy, and that you had a say, and we were a band? It's just he happened to be our front man. To me, it was always a band with a front man because okay. Pete Thomas is a, is a superb drummer. Uh huh. You know, one of the and Steve Naive is equally a like they're both world class musicians. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, I think Elvis, in his more cogent moments, admits he got lucky with that. And it was, it was. We certainly contributed massively to the you know f- f- from the songs being developed from the demo stage to the record stage. Yeah. You know, to the arrangement and instrument. You know, and ver- and the parts and stuff. I mean, it was he would come with um, with a with a song. It would so it's vocal and guitar. Yeah. You know, and maybe an idea about tempo or a, you know sound should sound a bit like what you know, but we certainly contributed, and it was reflected in the fact that I mean he you know he um did a kind of profit participation thing with the albums on that basis, but we never actually got actual songwriting credits, but. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I'm not going to go into, you know, litigious areas or anything like that. Like some people do, I wrote this, I should have had that kind of thing. But some of the, I mean, I would say some of the songs like Pump It Up and Chelsea and so forth, uh, uh, the, the riff is pretty much the song. You 
When I've had people wanting to cover the bass line to pump it up on YouTube, <laughs> it gets taken down as uh, infringing Elvis's copyright. Yet oh, when wow. when we heard, where, you know, I thought, well, it's it's the it's just they're just playing the bass line. It, yeah. But you know, if he saw what Elvis had come up with, it was kind of e e e e e e e e. You know, the chord. There was no riff or anything there. Right. So I thought, well, it's kind of the, when it reaches that kind of technical distinction i think well hold up you know the bass line isn't the song and it's right. not infringing anybody's copyright really yeah but that's the way it goes so okay. we just have to bow to that i say uh i gotta say I, I if nothing else you deserve to be in the rock and roll hall of fame just for pump it up That song is magic. You on that song is magic. Not to mention all the other things you've done, but that's one of the most epic uh, marriage of bassline and song, rock song in history. So, well, that's very kind of you. But sure. I mean, it was uh, it, it took less effort than it did for you to say that. <laughs> I believe it. It's not that it's very technical, but like you were saying yeah. about things about like the buzzcocks and the uh, you know that punk ethos. The thing that. The thing that uh, I feel about some of that new wave and punk music is that there's profundity in its simplicity. Yeah, of course. I mean, that uh, ever fallen in love with somebody. I mean, yes. it, was a, it was a guy at the Green Day who said that was the best pop song ever written. You know, yes. you'd die to write, die to write a pop song like that. But it, it probably just came straight out of the well in a bucket. You know, I know. I know. And so that, that's how I feel about uh, Pump It Up and you on there, especially. The riff wasn't totally spontaneous. It was kind of contrived. It was a hybrid riff from things that we'd been, I'd been listening to at the time. It's kind yeah. of weird. Okay, okay. Huh. Yeah. What were you listening to at the time? Well, the, the, if you listen to The Price of Love by the Everly Brothers, oh. uh, you'll, you'll get the rhythmic pattern. Okay. Dun-dun-da-da-da-da-da, you know.
And if you listen to uh, You've Got to Lose by Richard Hell and the Voidoids, which oh. goes dun 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 and you put those notes to the other riffs, you get dun 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 So it's a hybrid it's a hybrid riff. And then, I, and then I'm left with half a bar, so I put You Really Got Me In, which is the other best riff ever written. And that was it. That, that's kind of it. It wasn't, uh, I didn't sit down and think, how can I write, the, you know, an iconic yeah. bass riff. I just thought, right. oh, I know, I've, here's a couple of riffs. Let's make one riff out of them and, you know, That's mix beautiful. and match. I love that. Mm. It's beautiful. Uh, okay, so what do you think then is at the heart of, now, okay, this is, a le- this is a leading question because I have an opinion about this. What do you think then is at the heart of the dysfunction between you and Elvis? And when I ask that question, do you want to hear my opinion or do you want to answer it or do you not want to just skip over it? There are several um, possible answers. Oh, really? It wasn't a straightforward falling out because I'd written things in a book that right. he didn't like. Right. That's the first uh, myth to dispel. Yep. Although I happily traded on that because mm-hmm. I wanted to sell some books. Mm-hmm. When I wrote, a, a, you know, the first book I ever wrote was The Big Wheel, which is about being in the band. 
up until the first time we split up in the 80s, in the late 80s. And and the myth was that he'd taken exception to my depiction of him in the book and, and I got fired. It, that wasn't that at all. And I go into the real reason in the, in Rough Notes, which mm-hmm. is a more considered, um, you know, biography right. of, the t- of the times, which was basically something he did to Steve Naive, nothing at all to do with me that I took exception to. Right. Although uh, Steve seemed to have seemed to forgive him before I did, but I was a bit, I was a bit upset by something he did to Steve. Um, mm-hmm. I would say there's there's always been. Well, you touched on it earlier. I mean, I'm not a backseat driver. Yeah, that's what you I was know, say. I'm kind of, um, and I think he like really. More as time went on, he wanted to be the focal point and the main man, and and and, and um, it. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I think there's that. That's, yeah. that's part of the dynamic as well. I, I think agree. so. Um, when uh, I was when I was reading, the I, book. I've just started writing volume two of my memoirs, and I've and <laughs> there's I've, more. I've, uh, sorry, there's more. You're going to put out another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this great. is a little bit more. This is a little bit more of a what I did on my holidays or what we did on the bus, not oh, so fun. much to do with performing and yeah. recording, but more to do with the interpersonal and psychological dynamic, if you like, of, of the band and what I was doing at the time that I haven't really broached yet. Uh-huh. So there was one point, point, there was one gig in somewhere in the Midwest in some generic town that I, don't, I can't remember, where, where he'd been to a local bookstore and bought a, a load of self-help books like of the day which would probably be something like i'm okay you're okay or jonathan livingston siegel and those kinds of things and he got them all on stage and and um and uh he went through them all one by one said i'm okay you're you're okay no you're fucking not you know and <laughs> and and ripped pages out of it and then he went jonathan livingston siegel fly you know and chuck yeah. that into the and right. so we went he went through this kind of um uh the book destruction ritual and then and then no of course nobody in the crowd knew what it was what the hell is he doing that for but yeah. anyway um later on he gave me a book a james thurber book the american humorist james thurber and um whose title was leave your mind alone mm. and i think it was very pointedly kind of all this was very pointedly saying to me you know stay stop thinking stop i I once asked him i once asked him what his philosophy was (laughs) (laughs) and he said i don't believe in philosophy which of course is a philosophy yeah yeah you know right it's kind of like saying i don't believe in speaking or i don't believe in breathing you have (laughs) to you have to do it to to answer the question so I think there's an element um, of, I don't know, I, I have to be, I think there's a sort of, there's a, there's a, I don't want to get reared, really shouldn't be getting into this water, but I, but I think there's a sort of a, a condition, I don't know if, if that's the right word, where okay. it's not full-blown narcissism, mm-hmm. but it's a kind of, threat where you want to be acknowledged as the kind of source or fountainhead of all that's good that's happening sure and you don't really want to share share it i think there are certain politicians we know of that have the same problem (laughs) absolutely and 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 and, uh, i think 
There's a, I don't say it's full blown, but I think there was an element of that. Yeah, for sure. I agree. You know? I don't think that's that, re- that, uh, you know, shocking to say, especially with in these days with the rise of social media and everything, we're all, we sure. all have these little, you know, Caesar com- Napoleon complexes or whatever they are. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't to. know. I, I, I imagine your take on it is not a million miles away, but no, it's not. And the thing that I was going to say is, and I, I say this because I recognize the same trait in myself where I, I'm not the best with authority. I don't like mm. to be told what to do and I don't like to, um, kind of compromise or sacrifice my own needs for somebody who with an ego well yeah ex- ex- exactly i mean what, what the way he was with me i have to say i see the same trait in myself with the guy spencer who i've just done this new album with right you know and he's he, he, he emailed me the other day and i'd, I'd said something about i have something he posted or something he'd done and i was well you know you don't understand this and he said i'm sick of being scolded yeah. you know <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I said, oh, sorry, you yeah, know." Yeah. I said, uh, "Yeah, I said it's just, uh, you know." Yeah, isn't that just, the truth? Uh, we probably when have I'm, some when of I'm these working traits. out, you know, nobody's ever told me not. Uh, one thing Elvis never did was say, "Change the bass part," hmm. or "Don't play that riff," or "Don't play that note," or anything. Good. You know, I, uh, so at least that was uh, never a problem. Good. Okay. But. Uh, but when when I'm and and nobody's really done that on session work or anything, people have kind of trusted me or let me let me loose, you know. Yeah. Apart yeah. from Chrissy Hind, but and books, you know, I write the books, I edit them, I edit them, I edit them until I'm happy with them, and yeah. and um, and that's it. So yeah. I understand the the dynamic of what you would you call creative autonomy, you know. Sure. Sure. And and. Um, and if somebody was jibbing in on on you know on my books or bass lines, I'd probably get just as cross as, as right. you know as he did. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I I came away from the book thinking Bruce is an agitator. Bruce, if if somebody is getting a little too big for their britches, he's going to mm. be the one that sort of pokes a hole in that. Oh, I've always been the bar- you, like, the, yeah the barrack room here. Yeah, we call them barrack room lawyers. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. or uh, the shop steward, you know, the yeah. union guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the guy from the union who says, look, we're not, we're all out, you know. <laughs> right. Right. And, and there's people in this world, maybe even like your former bandmates, who are just more comfortable sort of sa- going uh, along with it. Yeah. yeah staying quiet. Yeah. And I'm not one of those people. And it sounds like you're not one of those people either. I'm always <laughs> the one that puts sticks my head over the parapet. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Okay. But uh, I was. In by the same token, I was the, the only one who, who, you know, and I'd probably, you know, I don't want to reveal too much about this because it's, but I was the only one who ever, you know, took Elvis to one side to the possible detriment of, you know, mm-hmm. I thought I'm, I'm going to get fired for this, but right. saying, look, you're, you know, you've got to get yourself together because yeah. you're, et cetera, et cetera, you know, right. drinking too much or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, Unfortunately, you know what he didn't get defensive and get rid of me to avoid the problem. He took it on board. So, right. but then we've all we've all you know we've all had friends that have said to us, you know, are you sure about this at some right. point in our right. lives? So, yeah, um, well, I think we feel compelled because uh, un- the underclass needs a spokesman, and so we'll be that spokesman. You know, yeah, and uh, yeah. anyway, I okay. Well, that's kind of how I uh, what I was thinking. Do you ever? No, I mean. Maybe this is too 
pointed of a question, do you ever feel regrets? Like, man, if I just was able to sort of step in line, I could still be out there playing like the other guys. Uh, yeah, or but then you... when you go down all those what I would call alternative timeline questions, you know, uh-huh. you can do it with everything, you know, I think, you know, or I didn't realize she was giving me the signals, you know, I yeah. could have blah, 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 or I didn't realize, you know, and, and, uh, oh, I mean, I missed out on a job with Pink Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> so, because <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't read the signals properly and I right. missed out on Lord knows how many women because I'm so yeah. dumb. And, and, <laughs> uh, 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 at the end of the day, you've got to think. I've, I've funnily enough, this this is the sort of question that is exactly the sort of question that's being addressed in my new book, oh. which is um, which is things like there's a there's a story called The Garden of the Forking Paths by a, a author called George, I think George Louis Borges, who um, and the basic it's one of those sliding doors things that if I'd done a instead of B, what would Uh have happened? And upshot of the whole thing is really, you end up back in the same place. Mm -hmm. It's it's like the the butterfly effect film, you know, where he goes back, changes the timeline, that doesn't work, goes back, changes the timeline, and in the end... The kind of only thing that works is doing what you did anyway. Yeah, you know, is is like living in the present and doing the right thing as you see it at the time. Right. If you you can't go back and do it, you can go back and experiment and think what would have been the outcome. And nearly, nearly every time the outcome, you think, oh, you know, I regret it. I wished I'd done that. But you think, no, I would have ended up in the same place anyway. Because wherever you go, you take yourself with you. Yeah you, yeah, you know, you take your own behavior patterns or karmic patterns, if you want to call it that, you know, and um, sooner or later, you'll bring the same things back into your life until you've, you know, dealt with them. Right, right. Okay. You know, I, um, so in preparing to talk to you, I pulled out, okay, so I'll just be completely honest. I used to be a really big Elvis Costello fan. Um, right. I, I discovered him, not discovered, but it. I he got its hooks in me finally with Veronica, which I know yeah. you didn't even play on. But I didn't know. Um, but that was when I started to sit up and pay more attention. And so from then on, I you know went back and collected pretty much every Elvis Costello album, and he became a real favorite of mine. Um, uh, right. So you weren't. You didn't. You um. Well, I don't know how, how old you are, but obviously you didn't do it as in real time. No, you know? no, no, I didn't. I um, well, it, it's funny you say that because um, the album I did buy in real time was when I was cruel, and that right. was also the moment when I realized maybe I wasn't as big a fan anymore. And it's because, and I hate to say this, but I find some of it exhausting. I, uh, it, it, the clever wordplay never ends. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, I, 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 look, I look at things, you know, I see things on YouTube and you open them up and even when I'm reading the lyrics, I can't get it. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's very, de- it's very dense, yeah, lyrically dense, dense and everything. And they all seem to be like Irish folk ballads now about somebody <laughs> you really don't give a shit about, right. <laughs> you know, right. some some guy who did this and went to war and came back and the, you know, yes. and I think, hang on, you know, yeah, I think mystery I dance was better. Yes, <laughs> you know? I know. I, uh, but, so, but I, I know what, and I, I know what, um, 
I know what you're saying there. Um, but uh, I you just know, got worn out eventually. That's the that's the that's the that's the road he's gone down. Yeah. But, um, and it was you know I was I was trying to put my finger on it, and there's a quote in your book. I think you were talking to T Bone Burnett, and T Bone yeah. Burnett uh, said to him, "A lot of passion and no soul." And I thought maybe that's he it. Did. Like there's he not did. a there's no there's not a moment to breathe in any of these. Now no. having said that, I'll put on his greatest hits all day, and I do love. It's his almost stuff, but... like he's dead. He's so um, the need to impress or something. Maybe right. I don't know what right. it is. I mean, I used to write like that. I used to write books. They used to be really purple. They used to be very. You know, I wanted to show that I that I had the vocabulary, the 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 heritage, you know, yeah. the metaphors, the turns of phrase. I knew my background stuff. I could pull, I could paraphrase some famous author with a witty, you know, adaptation of a quote and expect everyone to pick up on it and everything. And in the end, people wanted you to, to talk directly from, yeah. you know, from the heart, as it were. Yeah. I was listening to Beethoven the other day. I had to stop the car and pull over to the side of the road because we were playing Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, Sixth Symphony, huh. which is the one about the countryside. Yeah. And, and, and I sat there and I thought, this is a really, really simple tune mm. with a few variations. In fact, it's just a major triad, you know? Yeah. It's a one, one major third, fifth uh triad with a few variations I thought that's you know when i bought the stereo when i got my first ever recording advance that was the first album i bought was beethoven's pastoral really? funnily enough and i thought that's where my that's entirely where my kind of love of melody came from huh. you know or yeah. not entirely but that sure. was you know it was a i actually learned to play some of the tunes from from that symphony Interesting. Uh, as much as more, possibly more than I did like Paul McCartney bass parts or wow. something like that. Okay. You know, so I thought, yeah, that's where the melody came that's from. That's a trip. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, you know what? But what I was thinking it too about how conflicted I feel about Elvis these days. Um, mm -hmm. By the way, and I was going to say too. Uh, you're not. You're not alone. I hear this really? a lot. But then again, I'm probably the person that would hear it most. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> you know? And I mean, I. Yeah. You know, I. I. I would consider myself a fan. But it seemed like too for a while there, he was releasing an album based on every thought he ever had, and uh, yeah. And I just thought he. I want him to go away so I can miss him, and then and then appreciate it when he came back. And then he did kind yeah. of go away to write his book. And I realized this is actually kind of nice. So I, I just have yeah. not picked back up the Elvis train. Having said all that, I, I was worried that if I were to express that to you, that I didn't know what how much personal stock you took in that music and felt like, well, you know, slogging, slogging off Elvis is also slogging off me. I put that music out too. Do you feel mm. a, a personal ownership or connection to that music? Or did you, in retrospect, do you think... I was a hired hand, you know, brought in to. But help I tell an you artist. what, I can't. I, I can. I. I really. I've never. I will never, unless by accident, and can never listen to the other guy doing my parts because oh. I know they won't be done right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I know that. I know that. Um, you know, I know from people that that um, that have seen gigs, and they said when you know when when the other guy. Uh, whose name shall be remain 
unmentioned. Okay. <laughs> uh, I call him Nigel Farage. Right. Because it's near enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you know Nigel Farage is don't you? He's a, I've heard that he's name. A, he's the guy who drove Brexit. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yes. 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 Yeah. He's um, uh, without without whom Brexit wouldn't exist anyway. Right. When when they were, I think they were doing human hands, and somebody said, you know, Pete actually looked embarrassed, and I thought, well, he would do, you know, yeah. he would do. It's it's, um, you know, and I'm not, I have to be careful, but I know that, you know, I know what I was doing. I knew, I know what I did, and I know that. Well, I don't suppose anybody else could do it exactly. Like nobody could step into the Beatles and or, or the Who or any other band and do the bass parts exactly as they were. Right. I mean, Pino Palladino's in the Who. Yeah. He does a passable version <laughs> of of blocking out the parts, but he's no John Entwistle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the guys that play with McCartney when he's on the guitar, there's a guy playing bass who does the bass lines. You know, and yeah. and 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 they're they're fine. But yeah. I could do them as well. Right. The whole point is that um, I just know this. It's I put a lot. In, it's not just the notes. It's yeah. not just the notes. Right. It's the and it's not even just the groove. It's actually there's actually a certain. Uh, this is going to sound really pretentious too, but there's a certain psychic energy involved. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you put in. I'll tell you a better story. I was doing a session with um, T-Bone Burnett was producing and they, um, I think Jim Keltner was playing drums and, and, um, and the, there was a, we booked a really good uh, organ player for the session and I was busy fiddling with my, I probably, it might be in the book this story, but I was fiddling with my kit and one of the road crew or the studio guys was playing chords on the organ, you know, blah, blah, testing that everything was wired up properly and working. Uh-huh. And, I, and then uh, while my back was turned, and then all of a sudden there was this chord on the organ, and, it's like, and I thought, the organ's an electronic instrument, right? It's not like a guitar where you're bending the strings or something, or you know where you, where your touches everything. They're, they're electronic keys. You press them down and you play a chord. Yet this chord suddenly sounded like it was coming from a a, a, a church in Alabama or yeah. something, you know? Yeah. It was, yeah. I thought yeah. the soul content and the just like whoa, hair standing up on the back of your neck kind of thing. Yeah. I turned around, it was Booker T. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, right, so how right. do like one how does you suddenly playing a chord yep. change the dynamic of the 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 it's like as if the person's inner being all right or whatever or soul yeah can actually come through even a, an electronic instrument like yeah. a, a hammond organ and that, that was a, yeah yeah and amazing so i would say that, that that's the long answer to your question i'd say that you put that if you're a proper musician you put that into your instrument the other great example which who i go on about at length in my book is peter green mm-hmm. yeah you love him peter green is but is head and shoulders not just the best guitarist i've ever heard but the best musician because he's channeling you know yeah he's channeling the gods if you like he's playing music from another dimension because it's the people like that that can play one note 
that will just go right through you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And communicate right to the depth. So it's nothing to do with, as you were saying earlier, it's nothing to do with passion, emotion, impressiveness or anything. It's just pure, yeah. pure soul content. That's amazing. And that's what the, the yeah. best musicians and composers give you that. Yeah. You know? I agree. I agree. Um, okay, let me ask you one other question about the about the ish, the Elvis issue. I, I was I saw somewhere you you two are listed as the twenty eighth worst rock uh, uh, fight uh, on Roll, in Rolling Stone history. Twenty eighth worst. Yeah, the, uh, the of the top fifty greatest beefs in rock music history, you guys are ranked twenty eighth <laughs> oh, according to Rolling did, Stone. I'd have thought we'd have done a bit better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are so the things... they've got they've got Dave Davies and Ray Davies and Dave Gilmore and that's in there Roger somewhere Waters too. and yeah. the Gallagher brothers and and, and Sam and Dave and <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. are twenty eighth. I sh- I take it back. I said Rolling Stone. This is Complex Magazine. Anyway, right. he's uh, they say in here in two thousand three, Thomas told Mojo Magazine it was actually because of Costello's jealousy that he was romantically involved with Cato Reardon of the Pogues. And when I read yeah. that, I'm confused. I'm thinking, well, I know Kate and Elvis were involved. Were Kate and Bruce involved? You weren't involved with Kate. No, no. The, no, no. The, the irony is that the very first time she ever showed up in our lives, um, it was when the Pogues were supporting us on a, on a UK tour. Huh. And Elvis actually came up to me and he said, have you seen the bass player of the Pogues? I said, no. Why? He said, she's right up your street. She's just your type. Come and have a... Come and have a look, and he ended up marrying her. Of oh, course, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was actually trying to. He, was, he came and did the whole. Uh, she's she's just your type, you That's know. That's funny. So that was no. No, I mean I actually was more friendly with his um, with his first wife, Mary. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, nothing. Uh, okay. Nothing that would ever make National Enquirer right. in either case. That's you what know? I thought. Yeah. When I read your yeah. book, there did seem, and I, I, I think I if the... I'd ever had a, if I think if there'd ever been a, any any form of dalliance at all, I would never have. Uh, there'd never have been a second um, right. coming of the band, would there? Yeah. No. No. I don't. I can't imagine Elvis putting up with that. Yeah, there no. does seem. I'm a he huge... might have got a few songs out of it. But... <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I'm a huge Pogues fan, so I don't say this disparagingly, but it did. It did sound like when Kate came along, there came along. There was a certain Yoko quality to the. Oh yeah, it's, a full, bit. it's the it's the full Spinal Tap cliche, yeah. just as as me arguing with him is. You know, right, right. it's probably the twenty eighth worst um, <laughs> um, band wife cliche in the poll or something. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hey guys, let me break in for a minute, take care of some business. So uh, there's been a lot of activity lately. And you know, when the famous people, you hear them sometimes talk about how they get sick of talking about themselves. I sort of, I sort of relate. I can kind of understand what they mean, even though it's been an embarrassment of riches lately. So we did three, or I, I should say, was a part of three different tribute podcasts to Pat and the Smithereens. We did ours here on The Hustle with John Montagna. Hopefully you guys have heard that. And then I was so honored to be invited by Steve Spears to come on Stuck in the 80s and talk about Pat over there. And I'll just give you a little little glimpse. So when I started podcasting almost three years ago, my idea of making it was what if one day Stuck in the 80s asked me to be a co-host with them? That would be like I've arrived. And that finally happened. And I'm even more grateful that I got to go on and talk about Pat. 
So that was a huge moment for me as well. And then I'm recording this Sunday night. I don't know if it will have come out by the time you hear this or not, but the Podfather, Ken Mills and I, we had talked about doing a tribute episode as well, and uh, some other guys wanted to be involved. And so we did a roundtable conversation about the Smithereens that will be released under Ken's Pop Podcast as well. So that's out there, and I'll I'll send the links out and everything when that comes out, if it hasn't already. And then uh, last week, I forgot to mention that Thanks to David A. Scudieras, I love you, Dave. Um, I got invited to come on the Pod Dylan podcast to talk about Bob Dylan. Now that is a like super fan podcast, and I'm only sort of a mild Bob Dylan fan. I mean, I think he's great, but I don't put him on very often for enjoyment. You know what I mean? It's a little heavy for me, and so I was. Every episode is only about a half hour long, and the person comes on and they talk about whatever their favorite Bob Dylan song is. I went on and I picked Girl from the North Country that he sings with Johnny Cash. And so that was really cool as well. So anyway, I just feel like I've been really out there a lot lately. You guys probably do too. You're probably sick to death of me. But uh, anyway, so I just want to thank everybody who includes me on anything. It's such an honor to be a part of this world and to... Um, talk about things that matter to me, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Tell me if you don't. Um, but anyway, so we've had a lot of shares lately. Let me get my list out. We got Jay Sabluski, as always. Good old Jay. Love him. Andrew Jacobs has been there for us a lot. Uh, Sonny Pooney of the Growing Up Rock Podcast. Susan McDonald. Love Susan. She's always there for us. Carrie Carlson. Stuck in the 80s, of course. Pod Fudge. Jason Simons, Save Rock and Metal, those guys are also so good to us. Ruth Hill, uh, Heckler Kane, those are all the, some of the people, and that's it, you know, that's across all these other podcasts that I've been on too. Uh, those are a bunch of shares, so thanks everybody for doing that. I wanted to read some reviews. Uh, let's go into, okay, Big Ben Frazier, I love Ben too. Ben, you're the, you're the best. <laughs> he sent us, he wrote us a five-star review, thank you, Ben, called Children of the 80s Unite. I came across John's The Hustle Podcast with an advertisement on a Facebook fan page for Book of Love. I remember that. They sponsored our episode. Uh, after listening to that podcast, I was hooked. There's tons of great artists covered in the previous episodes, several of which I knew nothing about besides the chorus to one of their songs. I love that. It's not only a great trip down memory lane, but also educational on what was going on, i.e. how they came up with their hit, who they collaborated with, etc., on which the artist, the time, and what they've been doing ever since. I especially love how John respectfully addresses finances with the question, can you live off of the royalties of X? The answers are all over the board, from I don't own the publishing rights to I'm good and everything in between. Keep them coming. Thank you, Ben. All right, four stars from uh, Pleasure Groove, strong prog podcast. I love the concept of this podcast. Find great bands who didn't have a great shelf life in the music industry. The hustle is impressive in its ability to line up solid bands for the show. Voice of the Beehive, Blow Monkeys, The Hooters. Those are some of my favorites as well. And on and on. My only criticism, here we go, is that the interviews are done over the phone, which doesn't come in clean for the recording. Yeah, I know, that's true. And the fact that John Lamoureux has a bad habit of interrupting his guests while they tell their anecdotes with a very frequent interjection such as, uh-huh, really, wow, and so on. Yeah, 
I know, I've talked about that a lot. I'm trying to work on that. It really breaks up the rhythm of the interview to the point where sometimes I have to turn it off. Ouch. But all in all, it really is a strong podcast, especially if the hustle has an artist on that you love. As I've said, I, I uh, many times I... I know that I do that. Uh, sometimes I do it to remind the people that I'm talking to that I'm on the phone so they don't talk too much. I guess it's my way of convincing everyone I'm engaged and I'm here and I care and I'm I'm attentive and I'm giving you my full attention. I don't know. I, I try to work on that, though. I think I've gotten better. The, I, the wow thing, it's funny. I was reading or listening to an interview with Sammy Hagar the other day, and he said far out a lot. Everything was far out, man. That is far out. And I thought, why don't I say far out more often? You know? I need to start replacing wow with far out or groovy or swell or awesome or killer. I I need to find other superlatives besides wow to throw in there once in a while. So anyway, I will work on that, and I'm sorry, and thank you for the criticism. And as, as I've said, guys, I'll read your, uh, your critiques, whether they're good or bad. One more, Napa Runner, five stars, great podcast. I found this podcast about a month ago. Uh, in a short amount of time, I have now listened to almost all of the episodes. All in all, is very enjoyable. The guests are fantastic. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for all of that. I really, really appreciate it. A uh, couple of requests. I didn't get very many this week, which is probably for the best, honestly. I have like... 10 or 11 interviews in the can already with like three or four in the process of being scheduled. So I'm good until like March. So, um, I will try and get to everyone's, you know, uh, recommendations and I always do, but it might be a while. Anyway, Jeff Cooper recommended Sheriff, which I thought was a really interesting idea. I had thought of them once before, but it sort of slipped my mind, but they were the ones, they had like a rock song, a number one hit years after they'd broken up. That would be a fascinating story. And then Greg Chittister recommended, and this is great, this guy's been on my list too, Paul King of the band King, who had that hit Love and Pride back in the day. I have tried so many times to find Paul King. Um, there's a Facebook page for him, which I reached out to, and I was told that it was actually a fan page, and that whoever runs the page doesn't know or is in isn't in any way connected to Paul King. And then all the like King band or related websites that are out there are just old or defunct or don't really work. And that really surprises me because Paul, you know, he was a he was a VJ on European uh, or British MTV back in the day. And so he was, you know, a minor celebrity there for a while. You would think anyone like that would have a functional active webpage. Now, I Maybe I should have checked before I'm saying all this. I haven't done it in the last few months, but I have done it several times before that. Every now and then it's like, Paul King, let me try one more time. And then I try to find him and I don't find him. And I just kind of go back to putting it low on the list. But I will try. And if anyone, as always, if anyone knows anything or has a connection somewhere or finds something, please tell me because I would love to interview Paul King. I love that band. All right. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Um, the t-shirts, as I've mentioned before, those, um, the link, as I've said before, when you go into Amazon, you start typing in like the hustle podcast merch or t-shirts for whatever reason, it just takes you to the long sleeve shirt. So if you want the t-shirt, um, I have 
posted the link to that on the webpage or on the Facebook page, I should say. Just click on that. Go find it that way. Um, I don't know why there's not that many sizes that are options right now. I think, again, it has something to do with like them wanting to limit holiday activity or traffic at the moment. But anyway, do what you can. Get one if you want. Uh, send me a picture. I would love it. And I'm so, I'm so appreciative of everyone's support on that. All right. Uh, and while you're at it, go get Bruce's book, Rough Notes. Okay? Let's get back to Bruce. Um, so yeah. I want to throw, you mentioned a lot of people in uh, that whose paths you crossed in your career. I wanted to throw some names at you and, and have you okay. tell me some associations. So we can get, we can around. probably get about 10 lawsuits out of this. If we're, <laughs> Let's do it. If Let's we see could. how many yeah. we can rack up here. Yeah. Um, now you have a, you have a, uh, a Michael Jackson story. Tell us oh, the Michael yeah. Jackson story. Well, um, we were recording um, Imperial Bedroom in Air London Studios and I'd done a bit of work with Paul McCartney in the past and uh, the guy who was pr- pr- co-producing our album was Jeff Emmerich, who'd engineered uh, Sergeant Pepper and the White Album and had loads of Beatles anecdotes and everything. And, and um, as as luck would have it, in the next studio to us in, in, in Air London, McCartney was, was recording. So, uh, but, you know, having sat through all these anecdotes for a couple of hours, I was convinced he was my oldest best friend. So right. I popped out uh, and, and I, did, I had met him before. So it was, you know, and worked with him. So I popped, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years or so, but I popped down and knocked on the door, poked my, poked my head around the corner in, in this dimly lit room where there was a playback going on. And he kind of said, Oh, come in, you know? Uh-huh. So, um, so I was let into this dim room and, uh, and, uh, I say, I keep saying dim in, in my defense, you see, but, um, <clears throat> um, and he, and Paul said, uh, Oh, here's uh, Michael. There's uh, say hello to Michael. So I went, oh, hello, man. There's this, you know, uh-huh. 12-year-old kid yeah. standing by the console. Hi, man. And I thought, <laughs> oh, well, never seen him before around here. Does he work? You know, is he a new tape op or is he um, just won a competition on Capital Radio to spend right. a day in the studio? I don't know. Anyway, right. and then <laughs> eventually... This this Michael guy said to me, "Hey man, Quincy didn't like what Elvis said about James Brown." And I said, "Bloody hell's Quincy!" I said, "I don't know anyone called Quincy." He said, "Quincy Jones, man." I said, "I said, how the hell do you know Quincy Jones?" He says, "He's my producer." And then of course the realization crashed in upon right, me. Right. Uh, That's great. This is Michael. Jackson, right, right, the biggest mega star in the world. Who you've just failed to recognize <laughs> right. in the di- in the dim light. In the dim light, and then uh, of course it went from bad to worse. Where Paul McCartney was, you know, was defensive. Oh, I, I always didn't mean anything by what he said. You know, it's just the way we banter. Right. You know. And uh, and it's just the way we we uh, Brits rag each other and everything. And he's sort of looking at me as if to say, you know, right. help me out. <laughs> right, and I said, right. yeah, I said. I said, it's like me saying, McCartney, when are you ever going to write the decent song? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, steady on. (laughs) Right. So that's that 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 story. Okay, Um, cool. Yeah. Um, Now, um, did you ever come in contact with Daryl Hall? Because he sang Daryl Hall from Hall & Oates. He sang 
on uh, oh Not yeah 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 town, yeah well we good, did we did a video with them um, didn't we for yeah. only flame in town yeah, yeah. I didn't really um, speak to him at any great length, really. Okay. No, we okay. we literally flew into New York. Uh, we got there, I don't know, midday, and uh, did the video, and we were out by seven o'clock. We literally flew to New York for the afternoon to do wow. that. Okay. Boy, so I, I woke up the next day thinking, did I actually go to New York? <laughs> or, you know, yeah. or am I just dreaming? Okay. The guy, the guy who. Um, who did meet there, I think, was um, was uh, Giorgio Moroder. Oh, really? Some, somewhere oh, that day, Pete and I, I thought, wow, we've met a real, you know, yeah. a real major, <laughs> yeah. major, 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 major player. I love Giorgio. He changed the face of music for, for forever. Yes. You oh, know, that's great. Pivot, 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 truly pivotal record. Yes. I love yeah. him. I've had several people who've worked with him on here just because I find him so interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so that was that, that was the standout. Nice. Um, okay. You know. um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about Mark Bolin. Well, this was when I was in the, in the country rock band Quiver, and we did um, the 70s. We did a... We weren't a pop band. We were, a, you know, a music. We were proper musicians. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, Bolin was riding high with, you know, with his um, hit singles and things, mm -hmm. uh, which were his three-minute gems. You know, he oh, he he's so he, good. he took his he took his uh, took his influences well and and made you know yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, I love. That. Yeah, we did a tour with him and. Um, all I can, I know, I know what I said in the book, you know, is that if you're Mark, Mark Bowling, you're never very far away from your biggest fan, you know. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just loved being recognized, you know. He, he wasn't one of those guys that would, would hide, you know, yeah. and, and, and he, he he loved it. So, okay. Um, okay. Did but, you like him? Uh, he, um, uh, I think he was a bit... Um, <sighs> I don't think you ever really got. He, he, okay. he was so wrapped up in himself. I don't yeah. think he was bothered about anybody mm -hmm. else, or meeting anyone else, or talking to anyone else. You know, okay. the 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 rest of the band were okay, but he was very much, um, you know, polishing his um, yeah. polishing his own Oscar. You know. Yeah, got it, got it. <laughs> okay. 
yeah, I love them and and, and him and T Rex. You probably know this. They're they're legends over there. They never quite translated as well over here. And, no. and the same could really be almost be said for a band like Queen, although that's starting to change. But um, I just find them so uniquely British, but so ex- and what excellent about, as well. Uh, did ABBA never really? Uh, ABBA either, had, no, ABBA had a moment. Uh, they were really huge there in the late seventies, and then it came back with that Mamma Mia. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Abba were m- massive in Australia. Right. Oh, I love. Yeah. I love Abba too. But um, there's just certain bands that are legendary, and th- their legend is not doesn't carry the same weight in the states. And T Rex is that's, one of those bands. That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. How about uh, tell me about Paul Rogers? I mean, you worked well, with him when he was a young guy. And strangely enough, I was a young guy too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You too were. We young were guys. both. It's like I love children. I grew up with them. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he was in the second band I was ever in, basically, um, and I met him. He was a bass player. He was a bass player in a, in a uh, band in Middlesbrough in the north of England called Roadrunners. Uh, I was working at um, the local newspaper at the time as a, what they called then a commercial artist, what they call now a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And um, he and the guitar player of the Roadrunners were, were kind of what they call copy runners or messenger boys at the newspaper. And uh, I got talking to the guitarist because he had a Paul Butterfield blues band album. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, they're good. You know, I like them and etc. And we got into we realized we liked the same stuff basically. And, um, and, uh, Paul Rogers had wanted to stop playing the bass cause he wanted to concentrate on singing and being a front man. So it was basically put, uh, I'd been playing bass in a, in a group called the tremors and I'd only been playing bass cause I used to be the harmonica player. It was a very R and B, you know, wow. beat group thing, sure. and the bass player didn't turn up one night, so I played the bass, and then I took over, and um, I was asked to join the Roadrunners on on bass, and, and so um, so I did, and then we we started getting quite good, you know, we became the best kind of band in the area, and so we decided to turn professional and come to London. We we came to London. Um, and split up after a few months and he went off and formed free right and, didn't you uh, say that he used to kind of purposely try to weather his voice he did to make yeah, it sound yeah. gravelly yeah yeah he um we used to live up near Hampstead Heath which is a big uh, open part of uh, London and and uh, he used to go out at night and go into the middle of the heath and and scream <clears throat> you know right. ah primal scream until his voice kind of went disappeared when yeah. hoarse when it came back it would be a bit huskier and so he'd do it again and he actually managed to get his voice to drop a register that's amazing so he sounded more you know yeah. i don't know and then of course he on top of that he had the immaculate phrasing as well you sure. know sure so um huh. so but he he, he definitely was something he, he definitely worked on i mean i don't know he, he must have known what he was doing but i would have thought it was a real risk that he might have damaged it forever. Yeah. 
I know who yeah. he's one of the greatest voices in rock history, and yet that's yeah. how he got there. And you wouldn't think you would think that would have the opposite effect, and yet it worked for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he. I mean, even when we were kids, uh, when we were fifteen and things, one of the local kind of the guy who ran all the clubs said to me, "He's going to be one of the biggest voices really? in rock," and I just got thought, "What? I couldn't hear that this at all." Guy? You know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. Okay. It's uh, it's a bit like actually somebody once said to me when I was about when when about the same time you're going to be one of the big best bass players in rock you know mm-hmm. and I thought I've only just learnt the bloody three notes <laughs> right. to roll over Beethoven you know right right but it, I I guess it's because I learnt, you know I, there was a guy who would show me a riff and I'd play it you mm-hmm. know he'd show well. me it once and I thought it's not as impressive as. Mozart, who would listen to an entire symphony and then play, write the whole thing out for the whole orchestra after one listen. Well, so you have to put these things in perspective. True, but we're in a modern age and rock matters a lot, and your contributions yeah. are. And, um, yeah, but uh, Paul Rogers certainly went on to become one of the best voices in, in rock for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, two more. Steve Winwood. Did you? I find him. I love him. I find him sort of a mysterious character. I think he purposely uh, tries to stay that way. Saw saw Steve Winwood when he was about sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, doing Ray sing, singing like Ray Charles. Yep, and playing the organ like you know. I saw them uh, Spencer Davis group when Keep on Running hit number one, and uh, at a club in Middlesbrough, and because they'd been booked a few months before they actually got the band with the number one record for 70 pounds that night. It was about a hundred dollars. Yeah. And, um, uh, Stevie, when I did a couple of, um, gigs with traffic and Mm -hmm. things like that, I remember, I remember actually the standout memory isn't the musician. The fact he used to have his girlfriend sitting on the organ seat beside him at some gigs. And I thought that was one of the, that's Worst more interesting. That's great. That's more interesting color than you know anything else you could have said. I love that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure. I everyone's going. Oh God, look at that. But, but, you know. Ooh, oh, that's you good. Know. That fleshes this character out. I like that a lot. Okay. Yeah. I, I. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there Did you, you go. Did you become another friendly y- with him? Or? Another Yoko moment. Yeah, I know. I love it. Did you yeah. become friendly with him or stay in touch or anything like I, that? I can't say that um, I ever got that, you know, okay. onto um, face okay. first name terms or anything like that. No, but I did like his um, Back in the High Life record, yeah, especially. That, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. One more. Michael Hutchins. You have a story well, in there. Yeah, we were, Pete and I were booked to do um, play on his solo album. Yeah. Uh, this is after he'd left Inks. And we we duly, you know, went through a couple of rehearsals, but we very we very rarely got through a song before there was another call on his cell phone, and and it was it was um, where are you now, dear? You know, yeah. Milan. What are you doing in Milan? You know, and oh, you're in Cannes. I thought you were in Cannes. You remember? And then it would be, what are you doing? <laughs> and he said. This was when the, uh, this the, the Paulie Yates affair yeah. was going on, yeah. And um, and so th- we went on like that for a couple of days, and then he was saying, there's nothing in it, you know, there's absolutely nothing going on. I don't know. And then, of course, about the third day of the session, we, 
got to the studio and, and somebody had a copy of one of the tabloids, the papers, and he was all over the front of it. Yeah. The whole thing had come apart at the seams and we never saw him again. Oh, man. You know, he'd gone to ground. And yeah. um, so that was the... Uh, that we got we got about as far as doing a, a, a you know yeah. working out a couple of songs and then it all just he just disappeared without trace and you know yeah yeah it's too bad I love them and I feel like he, yeah he and uh, so I didn't really underrated. um yeah we 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 just uh, you know never never developed any kind of relationship at all either yeah okay. Well, um, um, so I'm curious. I, I, I just have a couple more questions. You've been very gracious with your time. Thank you, Bruce. Mm. Um, I Number one, I know that no one likes to answer the favorite song question. And you had mentioned earlier that you contributed to a lot of the songs but didn't get credit. But I mm. am curious, is there a moment that you are particularly proud of? What are some of the contributions that you made? Maybe you didn't get credit for writing a particular song, but there's yeah, a baseline well, or a thing that you did in a track that you're really proud of. It really means a lot to you. Well, I would, I don't know. Uh, the, 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 one, the most enduring memory is, is actually doing shipbuilding where, yeah. where, where, Chet Baker just made you know the heart, my hair stand up on the back of my neck because I was playing the bass line and he followed it with the trumpet and I thought this guy's listening you yeah, know he's really listening. This is good. This is good stuff, and uh, and I think that wasn't wasn't anything I did in particular. It was what he did that I thought was a magical moment. I mean, in terms of bass lines, we were we were doing a song that sounded like a, a kind of blondie pastiche. You know, mm. we sounded like our own copyists in mm. a way, and um, we went out to the pub and came back. And I thought, well, I'll just play the play the chord pattern i'll just improvise it in a completely different genre right. to loosen it up you know so it's not tinny you know eight to the bar kind of pop and and that was b movie which i did as a oh, kind of i don't nice. know i don't know what it is it's jazz reggae you right. know Thank you. 
and they dropped in the keyboards, the drums, guitar, vocals, everything dropped straight in. And even to the point of um, like missing a beat out where there's a turnaround, oh. you know, even that was improvised. It wasn't arranged. You said, hang on, it doesn't fall. It's going to fall this. Oh, right. And we just, it just kind of kept going. And that was literally unrehearsed first and, o- and only take of that oh. song. And I think that's not bad. There was a good day in when we did this year's model where we did seven backing tracks in one day. If oh, you think that, you know, goodness. there's like pump it up Chelsea lipstick vogue type of things all yeah. in a day, that's yeah. not bad. I don't actually go out and, you know, get albums out and sit down and listen to them, but quite a lot of people post things on Facebook and everything going, oh, I like this or I like that or whatever. So I occasionally click on things and I think, ah, that wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't a bad part. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I will tell you, um, even though I, like I said, I'd sort of lost some interest in Elvis revisiting his music lately knowing that I was going to talk to you and focusing so more closely on the bass part mm. uh reawakened me to a lot of this music and mm. I uh you know I I feel weird saying all of this because of course the music is legendary and they're great songs and everything but I had I had really started to distance myself from it all but mm. um listening again through what I'm hearing you do re-enlivens all this stuff for me in a way that I was not prepared for. So I, I, I'm a fan again, and it's mostly mm. because of coming in through your door. And so I really appreciate that. I, okay, uh, well, good. It's pretty masterful, yeah. Um, okay, so tell us about the things you're working on. Now, you've, I mean, at this stage, you're putting out a bunch of books uh, promote. Um, Tell us the things that you're. What's out there? What you want people to find? I did. I did rough notes, which was my memoirs. After that, I did. Um, you know, I did um, the kind of. Well, for want of a better word, it's it's the definitive biography of Bruce Lee, yep. Fighting Spirit, which, which is, is so pretty crazy, much yeah. the industry standard now. Yep. I did a follow up to that called Beyond the Limits, which deals more with. Um, Quoting his, some of his more, more well-known and some less well-known aphorisms mm. and, uh, you know, and s- s- sayings and uh, extrapolating them out a bit to, to explore what he meant, you know, because yeah. a lot of them have turned into cliches and some of them go very deep. Right. So it's right. an exploration of him and a little bit of his Taoist background and a bit of his cutting-edge kind of what you would call self-help positive thinking, you know, that yeah. he was very mm-hmm. into. Um, uh, I've Since that, I've just finished another 
another similar book which goes into that side of things a bit deeper and more pragmatically so in it's less theoretical and more you know hands-on if you like it if if you if you will it's the self-help book bruce lee could have written got it i think but i'm you know that might sound a bit arrogant but i no that's great i've spent 30 years on it now so yeah yeah um I've I've written a book about Muhammad Ali. You have, which uh, Is it I won't say a lot about at the moment. Wow. Um, uh, I'm doing volume two of my memoirs, which will be which will include um, more on the road stuff and other things that people probably don't realise I've done, like going to you know live with the hopi indians or on communes in scotland or various things yeah. so Amazing. yeah wow so, wide breadth okay and then music so but, but the main thing i'm do, doing at the moment is i'm promoting uh, here comes a pro here comes a plug i'm doing <laughs> the um i'm doing i did an album with a guy called spencer brown who's um facebook friend who would send me songs to see what i thought about them and what i could suggest and i gradually realized he was writing good songs and then i was coming up with a lot of ideas for arrangements and production and everything and it uh, uh, at some point he said to, to me would you fancy coming along and putting bass on them then and i said well if you're going to make an album let, i'll come along and, and play bass on it and mix it and yeah. you know and we'll work on it we'll collaborate on it We've done that, and that's been out a little while. That's called Back to the Start, and, and it's Spencer I just really Brown. Wanted... That's how we would search for that. Uh, yeah, there's, it's uh, you will go get to it via Amazon. It's okay. on Spotify and iTunes Good. and all the usual places. But um, I, I wanted to prove to people that I can still play the bass as well as I did. You know, um, yeah. it's it's I've, it's not dis- it's not the flame still burns. Good, good. <laughs> and don't you, you do know? some DJing too? Or did you? Uh, no, I worked with my nephew who was a DJ doing. Um, we used to do uh, EDM and yeah. uh, dance music for for um, for clubs, but only on you know we do um, like a thousand vinyl okay. things to send to D club DJs. Wow. So it was very much a, a club oriented thing. So that was a kind of um, 
uh, he's he's back doing it now. Um, it's um, they were kind of what they call breakbeat, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. I, for anyone listening, who I mean, just the the diversity of interests and things that you get up and do every day is pretty astounding. I think. <laughs> well, I don't know. I get up, have breakfast, sit on the computer. Sure. Say the... <laughs> don't we all do that? Like, all, like everyone else. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, don't we all go for a jog now and again? Right, right. Oh, speaking of which, now are you married or kids? Or... I, I'm, I'm available. Ah, oh, there you go, guys. Ladies, the Bruce girls. Thomas. Well, yes. Sorry, yes, I should clarify. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not that diverse. Yes, but, I mean, not that, not that I've got anything against exactly. any of it. Right, I'm, right. But, but I'm, I'm not that diverse. <laughs> got it. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thank you for talking with me, Bruce. This meant a lot. I, uh, you've been in my life for many, many years, and uh, I, uh, it, I'm coming back around to the musical side of it, and I really appreciate it, and I loved Rough Notes. And so okay. I, I'm so grateful you talked to me. There you have it, Bruce Thomas. I like that conversation. I hope you did, too. He's a pretty verbose guy, but he's, he's never boring, and he's got such great stories. And check out Rough Notes. In fact, check out anything that he's written. It's all really fascinating, but Rough Notes was a really good book. If you like that period and you're an Elvis fan, you kind of have to read it, don't you? So, anyway, thank you, Bruce, for doing that. And thank you, John Pasden, for recommending Bruce. I want to close it out here with a song called Complicated Shadows, and it's on one of the those latter-day Elvis and the uh, Attractions albums, All This Useless Beauty. In the book, uh, Bruce is pretty sort of, you know, standoffish or, you know, he doesn't really like this album that much, but the one song that he remembered working on and had some affection for was this one. I, th- I actually like that album a lot and uh, still to this day. So I wanted to play the one song that Bruce sort of liked (laughs) from that session. Now, teaser for next week, we have a listener request. Uh, BJ Cramp requested a power pop legend to some people, and that's who we're talking with next week, the day after Christmas. You guys know the business by now. You can find us on Facebook and like the page. You can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. And you can find us on, you can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich. Once again, he was still kind of dealing with this family uh, death. There was the funeral for his uncle Mike. And so once again, if you don't mind, guys, give him a little love. Let him know you appreciate everything he does. We will see you guys next Tuesday.
would say just what you like In a voice like a John Ford film Take the law into your hands You will soon get tired of killing the most complicated shadows Complicated shadows Complicated shadows Complicated shadows Thank you.